Hello and welcome to Delving to Draft. This is episode 38, recording the 18th of September 2013. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dad! News! Theros has been, well, not released, but we know what all the cards in Theros are. Came out a little bit earlier than intended. Somebody on Magic Online staff decided to push Theros onto Magic Online, so we had a good look through it uh, before, well, that was, what, Friday, and it was meant to be spoiled on the Monday, so a couple of days early. Um, But yes, we now know everything which is coming on Theros, and chances are, by the time you're listening to this, pre-releases have probably already happened, so you kind of know what some of the cards are doing at any rate. Hopefully. Um, unsurprisingly, because we now know all the cards in Theros, there are a th- there is a Theros FAQ out, which covers all the big mechanics, all the um, cycles, and individual card rules and stuff. Um, so if, there, if there's any card which you're curious about and you're not entirely sure how it works, chances are it's in the release notes. You can look it up and get a clear understanding in plain English what these cards do. And we'll probably touch upon some of the FAQ later on in the show. Um Jewel of the Planeswalkers 2014 has an expansion out that came out, uh, in fact, today, the um, Wednesday, the 18th of September, although I'm refreshing Steam and it's still not appearing, but it's definitely out. So um, it's got five new decks, um, it's got new campaign levels. I don't think anything's been added to Sealed. I'm not entirely sure if anything's been added to... No, actually, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say Plane Chase, and then that, that was the previous expansion, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. New decks, new challenges, new campaign levels, nothing new to sealed. I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, don't know how much it costs, but you can go look it up if you're interested, if you've got Jewel of Planeswalkers ready. I thought it might just be too expensive. I mean, Jewel of the Planeswalkers itself is fairly cheap. Yeah, it's only 7 quid on Steam, so I would imagine maybe 350 for the expansion. But I say right. It's not yet up on Steam, he says, refreshing once again. <laughs> uh, we also have an FAQ up for the Hero's Path. So this is the big um, meta campaign which is going on across the entire Theros block. Um, there's going to be nine events in total, or nine quests, as they term them. There's going to be a quest during every pre-release, during every release weekend, which is basically the F&M after the pre-release, or the F&M when the sets come out. And then there are also, on game days, there's going to be um, an event. So what we got coming up, at least for the Theros set, is um, Choose Your Path is going to happen at the pre-release. Now, this is basically when you pick your box um, for the pre-release, um, which... Undoubtedly, because you listen to this after the pre-release, you know what I'm talking about. You pick your box. Inside, there is a special hero card, which has an ability. There's five of them, one for each of the colors. And this is just something you hold on to. It's not actually something you can use the pre-release or, in fact, anything at the moment. Now, come the Friday afterwards, the, fr- the F&M, um, we're going to be able to solve a puzzle. And then we're going to be able to get another hero card. Um, as far as I know, there's only one hero card available for this. Yes. Um, so chances are by the end of next Friday, you're going to have your hero card from your pre-release box, or maybe multiple if you've done multiple pre-releases and multiple colors, and your hero card from uh, Gift from the Gods, as the second quest is called. And you're going to have at least your, your at least two hero cards, which still you can't do anything with. Because at game day, there's going to be this Hydra Challenge deck. This is something um, brand new, and we still don't know exactly what it is, but it's it's going to be... Um, some event where you can use your hero cards alongside a constructed deck to fight the Hydra. And yeah. It kind of looks a bit like Horde Magic, where, yeah. where you have like one big deck full of monsters, or in this case, heads of the Hydra, and they play them every turn or so, and, and some of them will probably have some kind of abilities. So, 
and then everyone will kind of have to try and beat the deck together. Yeah, it's going to be some cooperative event. Although it does say you can play this alone. Huh. Okay. So maybe it scales based on player numbers? Yeah, well, I mean, Horde Magic does as well, because Horde Magic's supposed to be four players for a 100-card deck, but then every player you remove, you take up 25 cards. So it might be something like that, that the deck gets smaller. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell. Yeah, we don't really know at the moment. Um, what we do know, you're only allowed to use two hero cards to face against the Hydra, and also you will get a hero card if you defeat the Hydra, now, this is going to actually be a product which you can buy. Now, I think it's intended that every big store probably buys one and then anyone can play against it, and the store sort of has it, but in theory, you should be able to buy these from your store. You probably will have to go to your store owner directly and go, hey, I would actually like one, or hey, you know the one you're getting in, can that just be mine, and I'll run through the event with people or something like that. Because I don't think this is the thing which is really going to be sitting on the shelves and, you know, sell in any high quantities. I think this is quite a specialist product and not quite in the ooh, it's from the Volts 20s, not that sort of flashy, because this is, this is only going to be used, like, as a very casual thing, yeah. I think. Because I don't believe any of the cards which are going to be in this are really going to be playable outside no, of this. They do seem... They've only shown one or two, I think they've previewed one or two, and they, they both seem specific to the deck. Like, there's no mana cost or anything like that. It's just a card that does something. I actually think it may even have a different back, so it's not actually got a magic back. Again, just emphasize the fact these are not playable cards in any non-casual format. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this will come out. I, I There is a play mat along with it, I believe. So there is some value outside of us having this novel casual thing, like I guess. But we don't really know yet. But th- this will happen in the game day, and presumably there will be two further creatures to fight at the Born of the Gods and the Journey to Nyx. And the hero cards you collect during these first three quests, you will be able to take onto your journey in later sets. So don't throw your hero cards away after you've beaten the Hydra. Otherwise, I mean, there's no point giving you a hero card for beating the Hydra if you were just meant to throw them away after. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can always play them... Um in a Vanguard style as a casual like, thing to add to your duels as well. Like when you're playing against someone you can both have a have a hero as your sort of Vanguard card that you can use. That would be yeah. possible. Oh, oh sorry. One complete set of nine hero cards, one pair quest in the hero's path, is one pre release, one release weekend and one game day for each of the three sets. Yes. That's that's a complete set which lets you get into the, the Hall of Fame Theros thing or whatever, I don't know. Call of Heroes, I I think it is. Right. I don't think I have a link to that article, but now that definitely rings a bell. I think it's in the Heroes Path article. There was definitely something about, yeah, uh, some bigger stores will basically have um, a card binder sleeve where you can store your um, hero cards. Yes. But I now totally can't find the article, and I'm going cross-eyed trying to look for it. Well, the, each hero card gives you an achievement as well. So the, I think the idea is once you've, if you enter in an achievement for each of the nine different types of hero cards on uh, Planeswalker points, then you'll unlock sort of an overall achievement, which will allow you to like join the Hall of Heroes. Ah, okay, right. Oh, I see now. That, yeah, there's a sleeve which some stores will get, and it's got the 1 to 9 with a icon for the Heroes Path. So the idea is you've got your one pre-release card and your one game day and your one release card from each of the three sets. Right, that makes a lot more sense. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm get- although, I was getting confused. Although for someone like you who likes to collect all of the cards, 
it might be quite interesting trying to get all 21 hero cards. So, yeah, I'm going to do the two pre-releases at our local place. My wife is coming along to one, so that's three different colours. Getting the other two, I don't know. No, I mean, it'll be really hard to convince people to part with these. Yeah, because you need them. Well, well, I mean, even if someone's attended both pre-releases and got one from the F&M, which is only usually keen players tend to attend both, it's, you still have to try and get one of their three from them. I know they can only use two, but it could be difficult. Yeah. You might have to offer some very nice things in trade. It's not that, I'll just steal it off of people. <laughs> uh, I do not condone stealing honest gov. Right. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, so, apparently there's a thing called Magic Online. I think I may have even mentioned it. Um, Theros will be pre-releasing on Magic Online on October the 4th. Its digital release will be on October the 7th, and release events will end on October the 23rd. Um, and a bit like how the pre-release works, you can pick which um, path you wish to go down, whether it's Honor for White, Wisdom for Blue, Ambition for Black, Battle for Red, or Might for Green. Um, you will get a special avatar rather than the hero card. You will still get your promo card. And there's details if you're really interested in an article on the Digital Games tab on the Mothership. Um if you participate in a release event, actually, you do a pre-release event or a release event, I believe you'll get a special avatar, a Hythconda the Cruel Avatar? Uh, falling afoul again of the pronunciations. Um, <laughs> there's also a Tamarit the Murder King avatar as well. Uh, I believe that's for premium uh, events, however. Right. Ah, uh, Greek. Uh, it's going to be this game again, isn't it? Cannot pronounce car names. I don't get it. I mean, it, okay, so I don't get them all right, but usually I just say what I see. You don't get why I'm so bad at it. I don't yeah, know. it just... <laughs> you seem to make it so much more difficult than it is. I'm special. Uh, <laughs> next piece of news. The Community Cup. We won. The Community won. Woo! I don't think I mentioned that last time. So, yes, we won. Makes a nice change from last year. We got year. it back. Um, Yeah. Didn't we also, like, win by a mile? I don't actually think it was that far. We were winning by a lot when I tuned in. It was 233 to 201. Oh, okay, so not that bad. It was it was a little bit more one-sided slightly earlier in, in the last day. Um, I think it was the when they were playing Iron Root Chef, I tuned in, and it was quite one-sided at that point. Right. But from what I gather, the Wizards team done pretty well in that event. <laughs> Uh, there's a Walking the Plains video from the Community Cup, uh, which has more about this Iron Root Chef, um, or Iron Chef Root, whatever, whatever it's called, and more about that event, which is a flavour event, and, um. It does seem fun. Reduke failed in the flavour, he got no points for flavour. <laughs> That's not hugely he surprising. Just, he just built a good deck. Did he not, did he not just build an Esper deck? Or was that something uh, else? Uh, I it was a reanimator deck. I think it was a junk uh, deck. Oh, yes, you're right. He did. He built a reanimator deck. But there I was knew. someone who actually just built a straight-up Esper deck with Sphinx's Revelations and stuff. Right. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a Conjured Currency deck. So that was the only thing. They had basically an Esper deck with four copies of Conjured Currency. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think they quite got the right idea with that one. No. Uh, it's a cool idea. Cool format. If you can get if you can get people to play it at your local store or whatever, I'd definitely advise it. It looks so much fun. Yeah. Um, w- there's been changes to Grand Prix, or there will be ch- uh, changes to Grand Prix um, coming up next year. 
Um, the 2014 Grand Prix schedule has been announced, which starts in uh, December, because, of course, that's 2014, uh, runs all the way to November. There's going to be more GPs. I honestly can't remember how many more. We're up to 46 Grand Prix now. I think it I was 40 last year. So yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say, I think so. Um, this is broken down. Tw- North America gets 21. Europe gets 12. Asia, Pacific at 6. Mexico, South America, 4. And Japan, 3. Uh, for the first... Oh, no, sorry. For all uh, Grand Prix, you'll get an Ultimate R Premium Batter Skull. So they're not doing two promos a year, they're only doing one promo a year. So batter skill is what you'll get from this December until next November. Um, Not too shabby. There was something else I wanted to say. Oh yes, of course, the prices have changed. So at the moment, um, first place due to 64th place get prize money at Grand Prix, at individual Grand Prix. Um, Doesn't matter how big it is, so whether it's um, Las Vegas, whether it's, um, I can't even think of a small one, I don't know, like... Uh, Quebec City. I don't even know. It doesn't matter how, if it's, it doesn't matter if it's 500 players or 5,000 players. It's always just the top 64. So in the future, um, they're basically changing this up. So the top prize is moving up from 3.5k to 4k. I know the prizes below shift up kind of similarly. So, um, a 64th place is again $200. You get $300. Now, if the Grand Prix goes above 1200 players, then instead of just up to top 64 getting prize money, top 100 will get prize money. If it breaks the 2400 player mark, then it becomes the top 150 will get prize money. Now, the prizes don't increase for each of the levels. So, like, you still get 4000 regardless of how big the GP is if you win. And if you're still between 33rd and 64th, you only get $300 regardless of how big it is. But extra prizes are added on as uh, Grand Prix get bigger. Yeah, which is a so, nice bonus. It makes it a lot like less daunting when you show up to a Grand Prix and there's just thousands of people. Yeah. At least you've got a slightly bigger chance now than you had before the change. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the economics of vote. I don't know how much it costs to do your Grand Prix. I don't know how much it costs for the product minus what people are playing. But the price totals still seem pretty small in my mind. Like, it's 35k for the smallest Grand Prix. It's going to be 54k given out of the largest Grand Prix. I don't know. It, 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 I mean, obviously... Anybody who plays Magic professionally kind of knows they're not going to make money off of just playing Magic. You'd have to be a lot better than practically... Well, you'd have to be John Finkel at his heyday to basically make money off of Magic. Yeah, pretty much. And (laughs) no one is John Finkel at his heyday except for Mr. John Finkel during his heyday. So, yeah, the prize pools are still low, and Magic is still not a career where you can just be a professional just playing Magic all day, every day, but... At least not just the events. No. I mean, the the pro levels, like the platinum pro level and stuff, kind of help with that. The fact that you get attendance fees. Uh, yeah, but it's it's still not a moneymaker. This is not no. like you set up for life or anything like that. So I'd really like to see the prizes increase, I'll be honest. Uh, I mean, I've never like sat down and worked out how much it would cost to run a DP. So no. I mean, they might not be that bad, really, but yeah... They, uh, and it doesn't feel much. Got like feeling. Much. It feels like they, they could pay out more. Yeah. So Cube Drafts are returning to Magic Online. Uh, they are returning on Wednesday, September the 25th. They will last until Friday, October the 4th. They've changed the costing and the prizes being given out because people were, weren't too happy with the previous changes. So <laughs> play a Cube. Uh, it's your 10 event tickets, 10 bucks, or 17 phantom points. This is what the Cube tickets have been changed into. Um, you will actually get boosters for winning nowadays. So before you only got phantom points, um, if you do a single elimination draft, you will actually get booster packs, um, yes. which I think was maybe the worst change they made. Now, alongside 
the cube, as they're doing nowadays, they're going to be releasing old drafts, old format drafts. This time we're getting the original Ravnica blocks, so Ravnica, Guildpack, and Ascension. Um, you can play these during, uh, between Wednesday, September 25th, and Wednesday, October the 2nd, slightly less than the cube. It's 14 event tickets, or 2 event tickets plus a product, which is obviously Return to Ravnica, Guildpack, and Ascension. And they are 4-3-2-2s, annoyingly. Ooh, boo. <laughs> no choice. Yeah, no choice, but if you want to play the original Ravnica block, that'll be available next week, and uh, yeah, that's what... I think it might still be worth it just to play the original Ravnica block, though, because that was really fun to draft. Yeah. Um, There's also been some changes made to the cube, but I'm not going to go through it, because you can look it up if you really care. Last piece of news. Um, The banned and restricted changes came out, as they always do the Wednesday before, I want to say. So, as of September the 27th, the changes to the ban list are as follows. Standard, modern, legacy, and vintage have absolutely no changes. However, if you play Magic Online Popper, then Temporal, Fissure, and Cloudpost are now banned. Which is interesting, because there's sort of a few main decks when you play Popper Online, and one of the biggest ones is based around those two cards. So, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts the, the meta, because the, the one that's kind of vying with it for or one of the main ones that's fine with it for kind of first place, is uh, the Delver decks. So it'll be interesting to see how they now do, if they maybe just completely dominate, uh, because those two have been banned, and there's been massive amounts of uproar about this banning from some people, and some people say that oh, it's about time, but we'll see how that goes. It could be interesting for anyone who plays Popper on Magic Online. If you want to read the explanation behind why these two cards were banned, then you can look up the banner restricted list announcement. This was on the 16th of September by Eric Lauer, so you can look that up for the explanations behind those two cards being banned. Yes. They are broken, to be fair. <laughs> I will take your word on it. It is not a format I play. Yeah, I mean, Cloudpost is a common land that can produce up to eight mana. That so does seem pretty ridiculous. Th- yeah, it is a little... <laughs> And it's not even legendary, so you can have four of them on the battlefield at, at once. Yeah. It's just silly. Right. Let us move on to... The Game That Card! So, I s- suppose I have a card. Okay. Uh, Cloud of Fairies. It's <laughs> on my mind, so why not <laughs> say it? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Uh, this card is a six drop. Oh, Primeval Titan. No, it's not Primeval Titan. Okay. Um, this card is a creature, however. Grave Titan. It's not Grave Titan. So when you said it's not Primeval Titan, it made me think it's a Titan. <laughs> okay, uh, well let's see if I can guess what you're going to say next. This card is red. Uh, Inferno Titan. It's not Inferno Titan. <laughs> Dang it, it's not a Titan. <laughs> uh, what, what are the Titans? Because they're not actually Titans, are they? Uh, they're giants. This is a creature giant. Oh, no, don't do this to me. Um, <laughs> Six drop red creature giant, go. It, it's Inferno Titan. It's not Inferno Titan, no, no. Oh, uh, see, I've got, that, I've got it in my head now. Now, if I remember correctly, those Titans are mythic, right? Yes. This is only a rare. Oh, okay. Oh, it, I'm thinking it's that Titan of Eternal Fire or something from Theros. It is the Titan of Eternal Fire. Yes! <laughs> uh, my next clue was going to be it has toughness six, just to wind you up even more. Um, I think that's uh, maybe where the similarity starts ending. The problem is, once I get that into my head, I'm like, but that's the only card that does that. It's the only one, and it just takes me forever to try and think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay, well, I suppose 
And I should probably get a card. Okay, I have a card. Rescue from the Underworld. No. Ugh. It's red. Um... Uh... Ember Swallower. No, it's not actually a creature. It's a sorcery. Um... Magma Jet? Is that a sorcery? I don't know. Oh, I think it's an instant. It's a very good instant, but no. Ah. Um... This is a rare. A rare red. Um... Uh... Hmm. Squee Goblin Nabob. Okay, from... A few Theros-based guesses to some random old card, which... You never specified uh, it was sorcery. Theros, so, you know, I just thought it... Oh, yeah, it's a sorcery. <laughs> God. Uh, I was just blanking on uh, rare cards. Um, rare red sorcery. Uh, it's not a god, no. Uh, <laughs> a sulfuric vortex? No, that's an enchantment. Oh, wow, I, can't, I just can't think of any sorceries all of a sudden. This is a card in Theros. Okay, that, that actually doesn't help me any. Um... <laughs> Oh, what's the one with the? I can I can picture the artwork. It's okay. the guy's hiding underneath a tree, and there's a meteor shower coming down, and it does like three damage to each creature, and they can't be regenerated or something like that. But I don't know the name of the card. Is it that card? It is that card? <laughs> awesome. Um, I just don't know the name of it. Yeah, Slagstorm. Close enough. <laughs> Slagstorm. No, no, it's that... <laughs> not Slagstorm. That's from a. Uh... That's the old version of basically the same card. <laughs> Oh, Anger of the Gods. Yeah, right. that's um, it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I haven't got the names in my head yet. I haven't quite... No, but you, you decide, described the artwork very well. <laughs> I couldn't well, thank remember you. the artwork, to be honest. Sorry? I couldn't have remembered the artwork if I wasn't looking at it at the time. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, the artwork st- stuck in my head, because it, obviously it, it's very fitting for what the card actually does, which is what you want from artwork. That's true. It is, actually. And, uh, oh yeah, that flavour text. There was no reason to pray this was already an act of the gods. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't gonna, yeah, I wasn't gonna give you that. I thought that might have been a little bit obvious. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, that is great flavour text. It's like, yeah, if, if it's your gods that are doing this to you, who do you pray to? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Right, shall we get on to Theros, which is basically our main topic today? Yes. Yes, I'm, I am assuming everybody's already been to the pre-release. I don't think we're going to be able to edit it that quickly. So we're just still going to touch on the mechanics because some of them are quite complicated. Some of them are pretty straightforward. Yep. And, and there's some corner cases as well, which are a little bit unusual with each of them. Yeah. most of them. So let us start with Bestow. So Bestow appears on enchantment creatures and only enchantment creatures. It's an alternate mana cost. So instead of paying for the creature's normal mana cost in the top right, you pay the Bestow mana cost instead. And what this means is instead of casting the creature as a creature, so, I mean, for example, a 2-2 with flying would just be a 2-2 with flying. Instead, you're casting as an aura and the aura tends to give you whatever the creature's abilities are. So uh, Nimbus Nihilid, um is a... <laughs> Yeah, here we go again. So it's the two. It's a two-two flyer for three mana, or for bestow four and a blue. It gives enchanted creature plus two, plus two, and flying. So whilst it's um, on the stack, if you've paid the bestow cost, then the card is an aura. It's an aura spell on the stack, and obviously you need a target for it. You can't cast a aura enchanting nothing. So if you want to pay a bestow cost, you need a creature to target. It doesn't have to be your own. But you probably want it to be your yeah, own. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the corner cases which immediately comes up, as I say, it's an aura spell on the stack. Yes. Well, now, say the creature it's targeting 
disappears. You know, you know, it's a it's a classic two for one with enchantment. You kill the creature before it gets enchanted, and then the enchantment goes to the graveyard. Well, first thing is it won't go to the graveyard because instead of coming into play trying to enchant as an aura, it would just come into play as the creature. Yes. Basically, as soon as its target becomes illegal, it stops being an aura spell and starts being a creature spell again. It doesn't actually. That was the second point. Oh. The, the spell will still resolve, however, instead of being an aura, it will just pop and become its creature. Yes. So instead of giving plus two, plus two, and flying to the creature which is no longer there, it will just pop into play as a 2-2 two, two flyer. Yeah. So basically, while it's on the stack, when you're bestowing it, it's an aura spell, which means when you cast it as an aura spell, it can't be countered by something like a counter-target creature spell, like Essence Scatter does. Yeah. However, once it's in the battlefield, it is, of course, an enchantment and a creature. Except when it's attached to something. Yes. So while it's there, sitting on its own, it is an enchantment creature. While it's sitting there attached to something, it's just an enchantment. Yeah, so you can't destroy target creature whilst it's enchanting something. Yes. Because it's simply enchantment. Uh, Yeah, actually, that's the other thing. It's an enchantment. No creature types either. No. So, for example, yeah, this is an enchantment creature nymph we're talking about. Whilst it's it's bestowed onto a creature, it is just an enchantment. So anything which, for some reason, cares about nymphs or cares about creature types, you know, like destroy target human, doesn't work, because the the creature type is obviously linked to the creature. Yes. The fact it's a creature, but if it's not a creature, then it doesn't have that nymph or whatever else it may have. So this um, may be the most complicated ability. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is. I mean... um, Because there's a couple other things as well. Like, um, if it's attached to a creature and that creature dies, it becomes the creature. Like, that's the whole point, is it comes in as its creature that it would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's been on the battlefield already, it doesn't have summoning sickness. If it's, as long as it's been on that creature since before the start of your most recent turn, it won't have summoning sickness, so you can attack with it straight away. So if they try and kill your creature in your first main phase to stop you from attacking, you can still attack with the, enchantment that suddenly became a creature of its own which is a little bit strange Um, and the other thing is if you attack with the creature that is enchanted remember that doesn't tap your enchantment so if the creature then dies for any reason the enchantment creature will come back untapped yeah so a a lot of people when they play uh, with enchantments on creatures they just tap the creature and all the enchantments and any equipment or whatever on it yeah but that's not actually what happens. Magic Online doesn't do that because you don't tap the enchantment, you don't tap the equipment because they're not really attacking. They're just attached to a creature which is attacking. And yeah, this obviously this becomes a lot more important when if your creature dies, you suddenly get a creature. It is not tapped, which is yeah. quite important for defense, basically. Yeah, it kind of gives you a bit of pseudo-vigilance if your original creature dies in combat. Yeah. I think that's most of the... <laughs> yeah, there, there is a single uh, bestow creature I do want to talk about specifically, if I can find it. It's the Sator. Boon Sator. This is another bestow creature which has flash. The flash works whether you're casting it as a creature or b- with bestow. Yes. Because if, if the whole card has flash, then you can cast it any time. Yeah, so that just means any time you can cast an instant, so you can, yeah, you can either flash it in as a creature or flash it in as an aura, either works. Yes, which of course makes it particularly good as a combat trick as well as a creature of its own. And that's why it is a rare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, um, I think that's what we need to say about Bestow. Probably. I, th- uh, I think that pretty much covers it. Um So heroic is an ability word rather than a keyword, because the word heroic itself doesn't mean anything. However... 
all heroic cards do follow a very similar template, which is whenever you cast a spell that targets the card and its creatures, because they're meant to be heroes, obviously, whenever you cast a spell targeting the hero, an effect will happen. So the example they've got in the FAQ is the Sessian Battle Priest. Whenever you cast a spell that targets Sessian Battle Priest, you gain two life. Now, the important thing is it's it's whenever you cast a spell... Yes, so if your opponent ta- casts a spell, you won't suddenly end up with a bigger creature. Yeah, so if they're trying to do three damage to your 3-3, three, three, and all of a sudden it's meant to get a plus one, plus one counter, well, it's you casting the spell is kind of the important part. Yes. The other thing is, the trigger will go on the stack above the spell. So say I target my Sassian Battle Priest with um, Giant Growth. What will happen is Giant Growth goes on the stack, then the trigger happens, so the plus two life will go on the stack. I'll gain two life first, and then the giant growth will trigger. Now, if giant growth gets counterspelled, well, it's still already triggered the heroic ability. Yes. So even if it doesn't get my big plus three, plus three, I'll still gain my two life because the trigger is separate from the spell resolving. It's a matter of casting the spell, putting it on the stack, with the target being the heroic creature. Yeah, because it's whenever you cast a spell rather than whenever you resolve a spell. Uh, There's... Nothing that I know of that's whenever you resolve a spell. So it's a fairly standard template and stuff like that. It's a bit like extort. If you cast a spell, you still get to do it, even if it's countered. Yeah. Um, the other corner case is with something along the lines of Martial Glory, which is a card that you might recognize from Ravnica. Um, well, it's actually from the Gatecrash expansion, which gives target creature plus zero plus three and gives target creature plus three plus zero. Of course, you could target the same creature twice, but in the case of heroic creatures, that still only triggers heroic once. Yeah, because it cares about casting a spell, and one card is a single spell. Just like if you were to target it with turn and burn, then it still is only being targeted by the one spell. Exactly. I mean, if it was to say whenever it becomes the target of a spell, that would be completely different. Because it's whenever you cast a spell, it's the spell is the, the multiple rather than the target being the multiple. Yeah. Now, I don't know if there's any cards which do this in the block, but if you were to copy a spell, which then targets a heroic creature, that will not trigger heroic, because copies of the spell are not cast. So, I mean, taking a card which is clearly not in um, Theros, if you had a storm spell like Grape Shot, and you target Tessie and Battle Priest with Grape Shot, and Storm is on four, so four more Grape Shots go in the stack, the initial Grape Shot, which I cast, will trigger heroic, but the other four are just putting onto the stack, they're not being cast, and they will not do anything, and you will not gain ten life before your battle priest gets summarily slaughtered by your own grape shot because you're a cruel and usual god. <laughs> but that would be very fitting for, you know, Theros. <laughs> yeah, it would. So copies are not cast, and also this is only when spells, not abilities, so you can't, like, target with an ability to trigger it or anything like that. Yeah. Doesn't work. Which is relevant because a lot of the gods and stuff do have abilities that target creatures, so. Yeah. New keyword action is monstrosity. So this, again, only appears on creatures. Um, it's always templated with cost, then monstrosity X, where X is a number. So the example we've got here in the FAQ is Keepsake Gorgon. It has five black and black, monstrosity one. Now, what this means is you pay the cost, the monstrosity trigger goes in the stack, and when it resolves, you get however many counters it says after monstrosity. So in this case, you put a plus one, plus one counter on the Keepsake Gorgon. The other thing that happens is that it becomes monstrous. Now, this is not related to the counters, um, so it's not a matter of when a creature has counters on it, it is monstrous. No, you need to actually activate a monstrosity ability. 
to make this work. So even if the counters disappear later on, you add counters from a different source, the monstrous only triggers from the monstrosity ability. Which does mean you need to keep track of the, uh, the whether your creatures are actually monstrous or not. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. The other thing about monstrosity is that it only actually does anything if the creature isn't monstrous. So if I spent seven mana to activate the monstrosity one here, all of a sudden my keepsake gorging has a plus one plus one counter and is monstrous. Rawr! But if I was to then spend another seven mana, then it would go in the stack, and then when it resolves, it'll go, well, actually, the creature's already monstrous, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. It's a nice way to waste seven mana. <laughs> yeah. So you cannot do monstrous multiple times. I'm pretty sure we said this last time with uh, the Shipbreaker Kraken. You cannot make it a 14-14, because seriously, guys, a 10-10 is big enough. <laughs> um, you can still spend the mana, but it just doesn't do anything when it resolves. Now, not related to monstrosity directly, but related to the fact when things become monstrous, they will have some effect. So um, Polycran also is about doing X damage divided amongst the number of creatures, as you chose. Yeah. With Keepsake Gorgon, um, you destroy target non-Gorgon creature and opponent controls. Um, the important part about the second line, which you'll find, is that it will always say when creature becomes monstrous. If the creature is no longer on the battlefield, you know, somebody kills your creature in response to the monstrosity going in the stack before it resolves then nothing's going to happen, because the creature will never become monstrous. The monstrosity trigger will resolve, the plus one, plus one counters will be on nothing, nothing will become monstrous, ergo nothing triggers and nothing will happen from the second line. So if the creature dies before monstrosity resolves, you don't get the effect. Yes. Um, the effects obviously change depending on the card. Yeah, and some of them are better than others, but most of them seem quite strong. But they are really expensive, so I can see why they're usually quite strong. Yeah. Although I think the one that you showed there, the Keepsake Gorgon, it's quite funny that they've got that one, which, when it becomes monstrous, destroys one non-Gorgon creature. And then they've got the legendary version, which, when it becomes monstrous, destroys all non-Gorgon creatures. Gorgon Tribal, here we go! <laughs> why not? Yeah, uh... We can yes. make it work. We could... So I don't any know tribe works now, because all you need is your Door of Destinies, and you can make anything a tribe. Well, we always had Door of Destinies, and that didn't make everything a tribe. I mean, it was printed back in Morning Tide, remember? But we have it in Standard now. Oh, right, okay. You mean Standard Tribes. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's do... Ma- Minotaurs. Has to be Minotaurs. Gorgons. Nah, uh, I don't know. Salamanders. Go festering you. Uh, I was going to say, we don't have many salamanders whatsoever <laughs> anymore. Yeah, but you can search out your festering newts. Oh, but then you're playing a human. But th- then your festering newts also won't trigger Dora Destinies. I think it's when you cast them. Oh, you're not you're not doing this right. Dang it. I want it to work so much. Right, hang on a second. My cat's meowing. It's going to be background noise if I don't sort it out. Okay. Apparently my cat doesn't like being locked in the room with me. Alright. Oh, <laughs> Although she was fine for the past hour and a half because she was sleeping. Yeah, but the second she woke up, she realised. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm stuck. <laughs> this is unacceptable! <laughs> so instantly clawing at the door, meow, meow! <laughs> yeah. Uh, cats are strange creatures. <laughs> Speaking of cats, tribal! <laughs> <laughs> hey, that is not entirely unreasonable. We have seen cats on Theros. Yes. It could happen. No. <laughs> Cat tribal. Liz will be happy at least. She would indeed. Right. We have a new term, and this is devotion. So devotion is a lot like Chroma. Pretty sure you mentioned this last week, Dan. Yeah. Um, 
So basically, what devotion is, um, you have devotion to a colour, so devotion to red, devotion to green. Importantly, not devotion to colourless. That has to be a colour. Um, that just means uh, for each of the coloured mana symbol or permanents you control, uh, this counts towards your devotion to the colour. So if you've got a, a Colonian Tuscar, which has two green mana symbols on it, then, and that's the only thing you've got on the battlefield, then you have devotion to green too. Yes. And this primarily matters for the gods, I suppose, where they want you to have devotion to their colour five or greater, but there are uncommon and common creatures which care about your devotion. Um, and then something will have an effect based on it. So, for example, Nihilis Disciple, uh, when this enters the battlefield, you gain life equal to your devotion to green. So, say you've got the Clothe Tuscar, and Nihilis Disciple is two green and a green. Well, it counts itself as it comes into play, so you'll gain four life. Yep. Not too shabby. Yeah, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Obviously, uh, colourless mana symbols do not make any difference because they're not a colour, and there is no devotion to colourless because colourless is not a colour. Um, and it would be impossible to keep that in check if there was. Yeah. <laughs> it would just become broken. Um, mana symbols and text boxes don't count. So if you've got some sort of activate, activated ability for like green and green, that doesn't count. Um and not that this will affect this block, um, but hybrid mana symbols, um, Phyrexian mana symbols also count towards devotion. So your Boris Reckoner gives you devotion, uh, three to red and white, just by mm. itself. Um, well Boris Reckoner. Yeah, Boris Reckoner getting even better because seriously, <laughs> it doesn't really need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, silly. Indeed. Oh yes, and also, generally things will matter when it resolves as well. So, yeah, if you're about to cast your Nihilus Disciple, then you kill the Colonial Tusker in response. Nihilus Disciple come to play, it will see itself. It's got two green mana symbols, you gain two life, not four, because the Tusker's no longer there. Yes. Even though also, it's there when you start casting. It's not on the trigger either, so if your Nihilus Disciple was to come in and start resolving, um, as in the trigger for it goes in the stack, and then you were to kill the Disciple, then you would have two less devotion there as well. Because only if it's still on it during resolution. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yep. Um, last mechanic I think we've got is Scry, uh, which has been around in the past. It was in M11. I can't remember what else it was in. Was it just Future Sight or the Time Spiral block, I think? It was in that block, yeah. Actually, it was from before as well. I seem to remember I'm it sure it was, yeah. It's, it's had a few appearances. It's mechanic 18, or keyword 18, so actually that's quite far back. It's quite old. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think I can actually just read the rules. It's pretty straightforward. So, um, to Scry... Scry always has a number after it, so like Scry 1, Scry 2. Uh, to scry the number means to look at the top number of cards in your library, put any number of them at the bottom of your library in any order, and then put the rest on top of your library in any order. So Scry 1's really simple. Look at the top card. Do you want it or not? <laughs> yeah. Either put it back on top of the library or put it at the bottom of your library. Scry 2, you look at the top two cards and you decide do you want to put both of them back on top, in which case which order, both of them on the bottom, in which case what order, or one on top, one on the bottom. No order really there because you don't have a choice. So top, middle, or bottom? Yeah, well, not middle. <laughs> well, maybe not middle, but it would have worked as a reference otherwise. <laughs> oh. Oh, this is true. So scry appears on quite a lot of spells. A lot of spells sort of have scry tacked on. It's a bit like how draw a card sometimes gets tacked onto things. Although scry scry is a bit more prevalent, and um, it will. Makes things interesting. I've never played with Scry, but I know a lot of people, a lot of newer people are kind of going, is Scry any good? And a lot of people who've played with Scry before are like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. The thing is, like, one, Scry 1 is kind of okay. It's pretty mediocre because you don't have a huge amount of decision. Scry 2 becomes pretty good. 
and Ennis and Beggar is just really good. But I mean, Scry One, like because it's it, it has an impact. It, it's letting you set stuff up, so it's quite useful. Um, but because it's quite low impact, they can just chuck it onto cards all over the place. So you'll find quite a lot of Theros cards just have Scry One chucked on the end of them. And basically, the spell is costed as if it didn't even have that there. So it becomes like a completely free bonus on a lot of spells, which is nice. Um, and it's definitely worth like having in your deck. One minor thing. I can't think of any particular card off the top of my head. I'm not sure if it even matters. But where Scry 1 or Scry 2 or Scry 3 appears on a card will matter. So, for example, Spark Jolt does one damage to target your player Scry 1. It's important you're dealing the damage, then you're scrying. Yep. Now, for that, for that, it really doesn't matter. It's not like what's on the top or bottom of your library is really going to make a massive difference to doing one damage. Yeah. But um, there may be something, for example, and I, I'm just using it as an example because I can't actually think of a card. There may be something where it says, scry one, then reveal the top card of your library and do something. Now, obviously, it makes a lot more difference if you can scry before revealing the top card yeah. than if you were to reveal the top card and then scry. The best uh, example is probably Serum Visions. Uh, which is an older card, it's one blue mana, and it's draw a card, then scry two. Mm-hmm. So you're drawing the card, then you're scrying, which is completely different from preordain, which is scry two, draw a card. Preordain is banned in a few formats. Serum Visions isn't banned in any format, so that, that tells you how much of a difference it makes. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, as with any spell, read left to right, read top to bottom. Yes. And do it in the correct order, don't do things in the wrong order, because it can matter. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you've got a spell like Spark Jolt, for example, the one mana for one damage, if the target becomes illegal, you won't get to scry. Yeah, because a spell with no legal targets, if it's meant to have targets, will just fizzle when it tries to resolve. Uh, And the entire spell fizzles, yeah. I believe that's all our mechanics, which, you know, aren't flying or trample or stuff we're kind of used to. All the special ones. Okay. Okay, so there's actually a cycle of auras in the set, which, when they're in the battlefield, you get to draw a card. So, the reason I mentioned this is because we actually said last on the last show that there wasn't really anything particularly good to trigger Heroic at a low cost yet. Like, the only things that were really good for triggering it were the bestow creatures, which were all really expensive. And I mean, even though there's some of them that are only five mana and stuff, it's, it's still quite a bit sometimes. So, if you're, especially if you want to make a really aggressive, um, heroic deck, like a lot of the cards seem to lend themselves to where you're getting plus one, plus one counters, um, you might want something that triggers it really easily and really early. So these are, the cycle as it is, most of them are two mana, apart from the red one, which is one mana, and they're all pretty, they're all kind of worth it for just what they do. The green one is not so good because it's enchant land, so it doesn't really let you trigger heroic on your creatures, sadly. Um, but the rest of them all can enchant your creatures. So there's the red one, which is dragon mantle, and it's one mana, and it basically gives your creature fire, fire breathing, so you pay one red, you get to give it plus one power. So, I mean, that's not usually seen as a good card, but Fire Breathing usually does nothing else. So the fact that it's coming in, replacing itself with another card, and it's triggering a heroic ability potentially, it makes it a lot better of a card. But it's still only a common. So, like, these could be particularly good if you're planning on drafting some kind of aggressive heroic deck mm-hmm. in the format. Um, of course, you've still got to watch out for if the creature dies before the 
aura comes in, then you won't get the draw card. And you won't get the aura. So you've lost out on a whole lot of stuff. Standard risk of auras, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, these are, are cheap enough that they let you be really aggressive with it. So the red one is probably the potentially the most aggressive one. Black one gives you plus one plus oh, so it's it's kind of mediocre. But I mean, if you've got some really good uh, heroic triggers, like maybe Agent of the Fates, which when a creature when you cast a spell that targets it, you get to make an opponent sacrifice a creature, like. When you've got something like that in black, you obviously do want to have as many of these type of things as you can get because it's insane. <laughs> but I mean, the, the blue one and the white one are less aggressive, but provide value still because the blue one actually lets you draw a card where the creature dies as well. So that lets you have an aggressive creature where you're triggering your heroic attacking quite freely because when it dies, you're going to get another card back anyway. So the aura and the creature have both replaced themselves, so you've lost out on no cards whatsoever. So it might be a little bit better than it looks, and if you don't end up having a heroic creature to put it on, then you're still going to get to basically draw two cards for one, which is kind of a divination admittedly delayed. But still, two mana. It's a very cheap divination. Um, And then the white one is plus two toughness, so it's obviously not quite as aggressive as the rest, but it can help if you're attacking to have that little bit extra toughness so that you can attack a little bit more freely, I guess. But, I mean, again, it replaces itself and it triggers your heroic. I think that's the main point with all five of these spells. Well, all four of the ones that can actually hit creatures. But I think they're quite good, really. So I just wanted to comment on those quickly. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't know if we've had anything else, really, that helps with the heroic decks. Um, other than some cheap, efficient creatures, obviously. Yeah, I was just having a quick look at the cost of creatures and how big they were, and there's a lot of small creatures, which makes it potentially easy to play a small creature and then uh, cast an aura onto it, even pretty early on with some of those cheaper auras. Yeah, although there's actually a cycle of uncommon instants as well, um, which let you give to your creatures an ability. Um, So they've obviously been designed for heroic as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, they vary quite wildly across the colours from the black one costing four mana and giving up to two creatures plus one plus one in lifelink, or the blue one giving two creatures plus zero plus three and untapping them, so, and also tapping some creatures that your opponent controls. So I mean, it's, it, they do vary wildly. Again, I think the red one is probably the best one, since it gives up to two creatures plus one plus oh at first strike. Yeah, that could really change a battle. Around. For for only one mana as well. Yeah. The, the white one is pretty much, it's a lot stronger, it's probably the strongest effect, because it gives them plus two, plus two, but it's three mana, so it's a little bit more expensive. But still, like, all of them are pretty decent, because getting two combat tricks out of one card is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the green one, basically, whenever the creatures deal combat damage, you get to draw a card. So, potentially, if you've got two guys that aren't being blocked, you can then go well, I'll draw two cards for one green mana, which seems a little bit strong, but, you know, you have to set it up, so it's not too bad. So, at least there's there's, there's actually going to be quite a bit of support in the in the format for the heroic deck, and if it, depending on how it plays out, we might actually do a deck tech on it at some point. I think yeah, that might be a good idea. I would quite like to get back to uh, our reviews of sort of how to draft specific decks, because... I think that went well uh, during the Return to Ravnica block. I think we did a bit last so with the gate crash, but yeah, it'd be cool if we could actually do that again. That's something I would definitely look forward to. 
Cool. Is there anything particularly that you're excited about then that uh, we haven't I, covered? I, I've just been having a brief... I've been trying to look through just the cards and mana cost to get a bit of a feel for it, and I just came across um, Sedge Scorpion. Not very impressive. It's a common. It's a 1-1 one, one for 1 green. Uh, sorry, single green, that is. And uh, it's got Death Touch, which is pretty nice. But what really caught my eye, and you know how I've been mentioning Xena in uh, yes. the past... Well, I just noticed the flavor text, and I think it is actually a Xena reference. Okay. Um, have you ever, ever seen Xena the Warrior Princess? I used to watch it every lunchtime when I went to my grand's for lunch in primary school. So it's a while ago, but <laughs> maybe. Okay. Um, so there is uh, a character in it called uh, Jockster the Mighty, who... Yeah. Uh, he, he's this bard, and he's pretty useless, um, but he's he's like the comic relief sort of character. Yeah, I do remember him actually. Yeah, so um, he's he's this he's this absolutely useless warrior. He thinks he's the greatest warrior in the world, but he's absolutely useless and he's very comedic and you know fails at everything and gets himself into trouble. And obviously, Zena needs to go rescue him and stuff like that. But he's got this his, his little theme song. Uh, no, uh, that's that's escaping me right now. And I think said Scorpion's flavor text is meant to go along with the theme song as well. Okay, that's quite interesting. Because his so- Jockster song is Jockster, the mighty roams through the countryside. He never needs a place to hide. It goes along like that. And with said Scorpion, it's of course it has to start with a Greek word, doesn't it? Thakdalos, the mighty slayer of minotaurs, vanquisher of giants, killed by a scorpion, and that's the flavor text for it. So. Sorry, that, I, I spotted that immediately because I, I figured that was actually a Xena <laughs> reference. That's pretty cool if it is. Although, to be honest, Set Scorpion by itself, a 1-1 one, one death touch for 1, I'd have that in my deck. It's a Typhoid Rex, but it's green. <laughs> yeah, only just reach and uh, it's basically our deadly recluse. It's a Doomblade, always gets us mad. Oh, oh, see, see go on to look at Set Scorpion yeah. in the, the visual spoiler. It, it actually just, I just caught another card that I'm really excited about because it's awesome. Mnemonic uh, Wall. Okay. It's not normally something that people would get excited about, but <laughs> it's it's uh, four and a blue for a zero four wall. Yep. It. Okay. Okay, so it does more than that. Yeah, I was going to uh, say. I, I, I was going <laughs> to say that seems like a lot of mana for an O four. Uh, it's basically an Archaeum answer, but a wall. So when it comes into play, you get to return an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Is this a reprint? It is a reprint. It's hmm. a very popular popper card. It's used in, for, funnily enough, the Cloudpost decks that have just been banned. Uh, oh, that's unfortunate for them. Oh. Because Mnemonic Wall plus Archaeomancer plus Ghostly Flicker is an infinite combo Okay. that they tended to play. I mean, you could use two Archaeomancers for the same thing, but they tended not to want too many of those effects. So if you Ghostly Flicker them both, then you get to get two things back. So you can get the Ghostly Flicker and then you can get something else. Which you can then, of course, do as well. So then you can do Ghostly Flicker again, get the Ghostly Flicker back. Yeah. So it's yeah. quite nice. But I probably shouldn't have been quite so excited about it as I am. Hey, I got excited about a theme song from Xena. Yeah. I mean, it's bas- because it's four and a blue, it's kind of the same mana cost as an Archaeum answer because that's two and double blue. So it's, it's similar. Um, but instead of being a one two, it's a zero four, which makes quite a difference when you're actually wanting to be a spell focused deck. Hmm. So I'm just, it's just more chance to, to live the sort of dream with instants and stuff all working together. It might not pan out, depends what else is in the rest of the set, but I'm excited now. 
Actually, having a look through these cards, I have noticed that there's actually quite a few in different places high toughness cards. Like, you just mentioned a wall. There's a 04, uh, I think it's a 2 drop in white, uh, another ox, which, an 04 on turn 2. Is, oh, no, no, it's, it's a, a it's turn a 1. Drop. Yeah, it's, it's basically Kraken Hatchling, but in white. white. Yeah, so there's an 04 yoked ox for white. Uh, Guardians of Miletus, uh, it's colorless three drop. It's an artifact creature. It's an O six defender. Yeah. And and there's, uh, there's a big green creature that's four and a green for a three seven. But with those two relatively cheaper ones, that really does infer to me that this is going to be a slower format. If you can just drop an O six and just go, nope, nope. Uh, I'll wait till you hit a monstrous creature, please. But I mean, that's the thing. You could be the one that wants to play the monstrous creatures and then have the the walls to stop yourself getting beat down by the heroic decks. That's true. Um, the other thing I've noticed is that a lot of black cards actually demand life. Oh, okay. I've only seen the... The only one I saw that did was the augury one. Um, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe I misread some things. Oh, yeah. Now, looking through it now, I can see a couple that do. Yeah, so like, read the, read the Bones is like, one of them. Boon of Erebos, one mana, target creature gets plus two plus one, regenerates, you lose two life. Erebos himself, for his ability, requires you to pay two life alongside yep. some mana. Um, and the, the Harpy, the two one flyer, for three, that everyone loses two, loses one life. Yeah, there's a, a decent amount of life loss spread across a few black cards. Hmm. It's a bit strange. Uh, Century of the Underworld, which admittedly is a white and black, that actually requires you to pay three life to regenerate alongside some mana. But yeah. but then black also gets Grey Merchant of Asphodel, yeah. which I actually think is a really crucial common if you're playing the colour in draft. Okay. Um, I think the way to play draft, black in this, is going to be pretty similar to black in every other format. You want to be really heavy black. And then you're going to have a lot of powerful spells that cost you some life to cast. Like, Read the Bones is actually really good. It's, it's a lot better than Divination because you scry to and then draw to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to make up for that, you would have your Grey Merchant at five mana, maybe two or three copies of it. Um, and it's basically a Corrupt, but slightly different in that it's your permanents instead of your lands. So I think that could be really crucial for the black decks. It could mean that Mono Black is something that's worth forcing again. But you never know. <laughs> I could be way off. Uh, if, you're, if you're going for a high devotion, actually, how many things do you actually have devotion? There's only a couple in each colour at the most. I believe there's a common or an uncommon in each colour. It might, it might not be completely true, though. Okay, I get 19 results when I type devotion in for text, except for that has kicked up at least one thing from Kamigawa, one thing from Dark Ascension, nothing from Kamigawa, so there's 15 cards. No. 16 cards? 16. Well, you've got the five gods. Yes. And then you've got the green rare. The black rare as well. The uh, abhorred overlord, which comes in with harpies. Yep, that's true. You've got... You've got the uh, mythic in blue. I wonder if there's, like, one rare or mythic and then one common or uncommon in each colour. Uh, well, there's a green common. There's uh, the grey merchant. There's another black one, actually. Disciple of Thanax, when he enters the battlefield, target player reviews a number of cards from his or her hand equal to your devotion to black. You choose one of them, that card is discarded. Yeah. I'm he's got two in his cost. That's not too shabby. There's not actually that many devotion things. I guess it is primarily for the gods, which, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they'll make that more of a thing across the rest of the set or not. 
It's something they could probably expand into. I mean, there's probably just a lot you can do with it, just different effects based on it, or just activate different effects based on it. And we, we know we're getting ten more gods, although they're probably more, yeah. like, demi-gods, you know, lesser gods, so. Although the thing is, like, Devotion is basically a rework of Chroma, and Chroma kind of bombed. Like, it didn't do particularly well. Right. So I'm wondering if maybe they've wanted to keep it to a bit of a minimum in the first part of the block, because they're not sure how it'll go. Mm. But then the, the problem is that they've already, like, the rest of the block has already been designed and, like, handed off and everything, so yeah. it's hard to tell how that's, like, why there's only a little bit in this. There are only 18 cars of Heroic. Maybe what they're going for is for the first part of the set to be kind of, you've got your established five gods, and you've got your your worshippers of those gods. But then as the set goes on, you start to get more gods coming in, and then you sort you see how they're like all kind of fighting for each other's for for like the the control of stuff. Well, we've definitely got worshippers of other gods here, like uh, the disciple of Fenex, the yeah. uh, fanatic Amogus. I don't know, Asphodel is Asphodel a city or Grey Merchant of Asphodel? Could be a god. Could be. I'm not sure. Are we does he doesn't even have flavor text to help. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, even if you look at Arax and Simini, I don't know if it tells you on their cards. I don't think they got flavor text. No, no they, they, they got one line of yeah. flavor text, yeah. Uh, but no, uh, in the Planeswalker's Guide article, it did tell you a few of the gods that they worshipped themselves. So they actually worshipped two or three different gods. And right. it had them named in there as well. So there's quite a few followers of other gods, even within this set. Prophet of Crufix as well. And of course, Xenagoth, who may well become a god himself at some point. Yeah. Did you look at the trailer? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. That's quite cool. Oh, um, yeah, there was another thing that people were getting quite um, excited about was that there was a land slot spare. So the, like, until the sort of final spoilers came out, there was the five lands, the five temples, and then Nixos. The shrine, yeah, and then there was space for one other land after all of those. Uh huh. Um, and everyone was like, "Oh, what could it be? What could it be? It's going to be something really great." And it's basically a reprint of uh, Shimmering Grotto. Yes, with a different is. name. <laughs> yeah, Unknown Shores. <laughs> so I thought it was really funny, considering how excited people were getting about it. And then that was it. It was just Unknown Shores, <laughs> Shimmering Grotto. <laughs> Last time we spoke, did we have the the rare lands? Um. I am not sure. <laughs> I don't think so. We've got five rare rock lands, if you're not aware. Um, they're jewel lands, and they are jewel lands for the, well, for the guilds in Gatecrash, effectively. Yes. So, we've got a Gruel land, uh, we've got a Demir land, a Simic land, an Orzoth land, and a Boros land. And, uh, they all enter tapped, and they all have Scry 1, and they all tap for one colour of some, either the mana they represent, either the colours of mana they represent. Yep. They're okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I have I, to be honest. I've heard a lot of people complain that they're not really rare. Yeah, the the problem is right, and this is something that, I can't remember who I got this from. It was something that someone was ranting about. It might have been Sperling on Sperling's sick of it. He tends to rant about things, but like they would have been perfectly nice lands, a perfectly good design at any other point. The problem is we've just had guild gates at common, and yeah. to most players. These are guild gates. So guild gates were common, and the only difference between these and guild gates is scry one. 
which we've already pointed out, is basically a free rider on any card. So, why are they a rare? And the counter-argument I've heard, and I don't know if you've heard this one as well, Nubinalia. Uh, Nubinalia is a land from Future Sight, though it's been reprinted a couple of Joe decks. And it's it's very close to being the same. Nubinalia enters the battlefield tapped. When enters the battlefield scry one, tap, add white to your mana pool. Okay, and yeah. that's an uncommon. So obviously, the second you add it, make it a jewel land, you'd expect that to go up to rare. And yeah, yeah. Oh no, that makes sense. And that's what I'm saying. Like in any other situation, they would have been perfectly fine as rares. It's just the positioning of them right after the guild gates that just makes it feel a little bit strange. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. But they, they're they're perfectly good jewel lands. They're not great. They're not going to make your fixing nearly as good as the bunny lands did with the fit, uh, with the shock lands, but they're okay. I will be really disappointed when I open these in packs, though. Actually, this is a meta question to do with Theros. So we've seen a lot of gold cards. Not, not, well, not tons, but there's plenty. Yeah, there's enough. I mean, there's, what, one for every rarity for every allied combination, is there? Um, no, for every combination. Yeah, there's definitely every combination represented here. Ah, yes. There's one of each... Rare or mythic, I believe. Um, is that what it is? I'm not sure because there's a, there's a mythic it's for. Really hard to tell. Yeah, without, without uh, I don't like gatherer. I just don't like using, and without uh, magic cards and info, it makes it a lot harder for me to work this out. But it looks like there's three for every guild anyway. I'm not seeing the third for is it? Uh, Steamogary, Spellheart, Chimera. I think there may be two or three per guild, because I don't think there's a third one. Right, yeah, you're right. Huh. I, I'm I'm trying to work out where these go. Like, some of these are at high rarity. Like, if you look at... Uh, well, they're all high rarity. None of these are common. I think I'm right in saying that. Uh, I can't see a common. You're right, yeah. There's no okay. common. So, are you picking these up and forcing the colours, or are you just picking these up after you've worked out what colours you're going into? I'm, I'm not sure how these fit in, like... Yeah, I, I suppose mean, it, it may depend on each card, like just how good it is. Whether you're just going, oh yeah, shipwreck singer, I'm totally going to mirror. I mean, uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. It's it's kind of hard to really tie them down to a deck because you don't really want to pick them up too early in a in a set where you want to be mostly one color. I don't. Well, I don't know how how important devotion is actually going to be. Having had a look at it, like yeah, actually, you're probably right. Depends what depends what you're looking at. I mean, it's maybe just me looking at this black model black dream deck and getting a little bit distracted. <laughs> yeah, and then again, some of these cards, some of them are just unplayable. Like Ashen Rider, four white, white, black, black. Are you kidding? That's a strict upgrade on an old card. But it's eight mana, double white, double black. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically unplayable in draft. In sealed though, if the format's as slow as it looks, like it might be. I mean, there's, there's definitely some of these gold cards which excite me, like Xenagos. I'm still big on Xenagos, I don't care what you say. Um, <laughs> Steam Augury makes me excited, although I don't really think that necessarily make me go, is it? Like, uh, uh, altered factor fiction, while cool, it probably isn't that good in draft. Um, I have to say, I'm actually more excited about Ashiok than Xenagos. <laughs> uh, should we talk about Ashiok? Because Ashiok was... <laughs> it was annoying, we recorded on the Wednesday, and then the day after, Ash- Ashiok appeared. Yes. Third Planeswalker, Ashiok, Nightmare Weaver, one blue-black, a Demir Planeswalker. Three loyalty for three mana, seems okay. Plus two, exile the top three cards of target opponent's library. Now, I don't think there's anything which does milling in this. No. 
And arguably this is exiling, which isn't quite the same, but you know, getting rid of the library is fine. Um, however, there's a reason that uh, Ashiok exiles cards. Minus X. Put a creature card with converted mana cost X. Exile Ashiok Nightmare Weaver onto the battlefield under your control. That creature is a nightmare in addition to its other types. I mean, that's that could be cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be random what you get. It's going to be random whatever you want to pay for it. But well, the thing is, when I say I'm excited, by you just it, mean it's better than Xenagos in your I life. mean, in constructed. So ah. I have to say, in draft, it it does look pretty mediocre. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, if it, if games are going long, then milling every turn could be a thing, and then oh yeah, it will kill them fairly quickly. And how quickly will you do Ashiok? I guess it depends how scared you are of the creatures in your deck and how expensive they are, and when they think they're going to pop Ashiok to get the creature back. Yeah, I mean, it might actually be okay in draft, just because you get to play it on turn three before they really have too much of an offense, and then you get to put it up by two every turn, so if nothing else, it's gaining you two life a turn if they end up trying to kill it. Yeah. As well as potentially winning if they do happen to ignore it, so yeah, it's not not terrible. Yeah, I don't think you can ignore it for too long, I think. I, don't I mean, if you ignore it for too long, it's just going to go up a few times, and they go, oh, you ignored me, well then I guess I'll just make like, I guess I'll just... A minus eight stuff. Ashen Rider. Yeah. <laughs> third ability, although I don't think... Well, thir- ultimates are very seldom seen in draft, and I don't think this one is particularly special. Minus ten, exile all cards from all opponents' hands and graveyards. Awesome in Commander, draft... Mm-hmm. Again, it, this is almost entirely, and most of the reason I like it is because it's a control sideboard card in Constructed. Because it's insane against another control deck. Because we've already established that they can't generally agree, they can't generally deal with planeswalkers very well, mm-hmm. and something that's coming down on turn three really early. So you can, if you can get it out early and just start exiling their library, if you ever get to minus ten, get rid of their hand in their graveyard. That you just basically got the game. There's, there's not very much they can do from there if you're also a control deck. Yeah. So that's that's why I'm excited for it. Uh, uh, I think Ashiok's my, l- as far as drafting goes, I'm least interested in Ashiok. I don't, uh, it, as far as draft goes, she's the weakest, or he's the weakest. Okay, you can't. Ah, uh, ah, uh, it's right. the weakest. Whatever it is. This is what I was going to move on to. So Ashiok <laughs> is. I don't like how Doug Meyer has been phrasing it. Doug Meyer, Doug Meyer. I'm getting confused now. Um, he's he's a member of Creative and he's on Tumblr and I follow his blog and he made it very clear that Ashiok is they don't identify with any particular gender. Okay. Like, Ashiok is gender neutral. They don't have any particular thoughts of gender one way or another. Um, and he's been always saying Ashiok things to Ashiok that Ashiok, and it's a bit weird. I'm starting to use the they as a yeah. neutral gender now. Yeah, that's, that's usually the preferred term. So Ashiok is a they, and they don't have any particular gender alignment. So it's the first sort of agender, gender neutral character, which is very sort of prominent in Magic, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure how prominent well, like, Ashiok's going to be, to be honest. What is potentially slightly more uh, exclamation mark if you're not interested in gender-neutral characters? Uh, <laughs> Guardians of Metellus, if you read the flavour text, I'll just read it actually. The history speak of two fueling rulers whose deaths were celebrated and whose monuments symbolised the end of their wars. In truth, they were peaceful lovers, their stories lost to the ages. The two guardians are clearly both male. This is potentially the first homosexual relationship mentioned in Magic. Uh, it's the first, like, overtly one, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's some cards where it's been like, yeah, that that looks like they're perhaps more than friends, 
But yeah, it's the first time that it's been completely like just said. Yeah, so we kind of have our first gay couple. We kind of have our first gender neutral character. Now that you say it like that, it feels a little bit forced. <laughs> um, eh, like I think it's good. Like I think more equal representation is good. Like it's not, and it's also not too much in your face. Like if you're, I mean, if you look at Ashiok, you can just go, Ashiok is three mana planeswalker. It doesn't matter what gender it is because all it is, it's a planeswalker. You know, yeah. if you're going the um, not the Melvin, what's the opposite of Melvin again? The opposite of what? No, it is Melvin. Melvin, who just cares about the stats in the card. Oh, right. It, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Like, name, irrelevant. Colors, relevant. Like, it, it doesn't matter. It, it is it's plus two ability, minus X ability, minus ten ability. Don't care about the artwork. Don't care about the name. Don't care about anything. Just its functionality. From that side of the view, it doesn't matter if Ashok's male, female. It doesn't matter if it's a cat or if it's a bird or if it's a... Whatever Ashok is meant to be. I guess a returned. I guess what that's what Ashiok's meant to be. Yeah, perhaps. From a Melvin point of view, it doesn't make a difference. From a Forthos point of view, it's kind of cool that we've got, you know, uh, not just the standard roles as it is, you know, what we always yeah. like to see. You know, white uh, white males and women with their boobs out, effectively. <laughs> if I can be so crude. Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, I just thought to mention that because it was a thing and some people will care and it's kind of cool. It is cool. Right. Okay. What else? Oh, actually, this is basically unrelated to um, gender. <laughs> well, it's unrelated to that, and it's, it's kind of always technically related to what we're talking about because it involves Theros cards. Um, but having a look at Nexos, there was something cool I read about it that looks like a really cool potential. Like, I didn't think that this land had a lot of potential, but yeah. someone put up that if you play a forest into a mana elf of any kind, right. and then turn two, you play Nexos, tap your two guys to play the Burning Tree Emissary into Burning Tree Emissary, and then use your last two mana to tap Nexos, you get five mana letting you play a, um, a Hydra on turn two. Okay. <laughs> Which just sounds nuts. <laughs> yeah. And then next turn, if you were to tap your mana to, to use the Nexos, and then play another Nexos, sacrificing your earlier one for, to the legendary rule, and tap the new one, then you get to play a Warp by Warp on turn three. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty nuts. <laughs> so Nexos okay. could be a powerful card. <laughs> God, I thought that was going to just be another junk land. How likely is it that that's ever going to do anything in draft, though, do you reckon? If you're playing the mono deck, which cares about having a lot of mana because you're going for monstrous, then sure. Yeah, I mean, if if the, there's no rare drafting, like, if you're redrafting rares at the end of the draft, and you are, like, mono black or something, you might be get it quite late. Yeah, first pick deity, second, well, second, third, fourth pick Nykthos, yeah. The question is, do you have anything to plow all that mana into in draft as well? Like, you should break need an abhorrent over, well, you're, if you're mono black, then you probably want well, maybe an abhorrent overlord. Yeah, I mean, it depends what colour, I suppose, but... I don't know if any other colours really have the right stuff to push you into monocolored. Yeah, the, the more like, are okay, but I, I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think monocolored is going to be a big strategy. No. I think you're just going to be playing two colours like most formats, and you're going to have some gold cards, but very, very, very few. Um, you may have only have one or two in your deck, I think. 
So here's a card. What do you think about Boulder Fall? <laughs> uh, let me find it. Uh, that's one of the more expensive cards. Yes. It's so. six and double red for mm-hmm. an instant that lets you deal five damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players. Well, I've got two thoughts. One is, it's not all that good. Eight mana, five damage, meh. I mean, especially when we're looking at some of the big creatures. Yeah. My other thought is, target five of my own guys who have heroic. Yeah, it could be And um, go to town. That could be hilarious, actually. <laughs> yeah, I... Mm, seeing it's a common, and it arguably is meant to have a powerful effect, you know, I don't think it's going to be all that powerful and all that playable. No, it's just too expensive, I think. Too expensive and not quite enough, like, yeah... But five five damage is not that great. No, but it's, it's pretty good when you can divide it. Like, the thing is, if you look at this in Flames of Firebrand, <laughs> Flames of Firebrand is three mana to deal three damage divided amongst any number of creatures and players. Yeah, actually, there's no contest when you think about that, is there? Yeah, so it's it's actually just double of... It's not even double of that, it's more than double. It's double plus two mana. Just well, to get two more damage. I mean, we definitely have worse cards uh, in the set, like um, oh, something fade into antiquity, two in a green sorcery, exile target artifact or enchantment. Uh, can't, I mean, I, okay, it's not exactly naturalized and slightly more expensive, but it's kind. I think of, it's, it's pretty quite, good. It's, yeah, but it's, I would rather have naturalized. Really? No. No. You Why? can actually kill gods with it. Uh, I suppose that's true. It's not much. It's not going to have a huge impact, but when you're in draft, like, making your naturalized cost three mana isn't that big of an impact. I, I think it's a good card. I, I don't know. I just... Yeah, yeah. I suppose only because of gods, I think I'd rather have that over naturalized, but otherwise. Yeah, I mean, isn't there also a, basically a naturalized in the set as well? Uh, there's... Yeah, there's uh, Artisan Sorrow, Destroy Target Artifact or Enchantment, Scry 2. Yeah. It's uncommon, but then again, it does have Scrike too. It's also yeah, three and a green. Oh, that is quite expensive. Three and a green, yeah. Well, it's probably worth it again. Like if if you're actually having to put this in to deal with stuff, and it's going to hit a lot of things in a lot of decks. Like that's kind of four mana for a removal spell against a lot of people. Yeah, because you're, you're going to be playing enchantment creatures and enchantment stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be enough enchantments going around that most people have a couple in their deck, and then the one person who's kind of focusing on it, I'll have, like, six or seven, so it becomes quite live against them. It's probably quite good, actually. Oh, that I saw a card earlier that I thought was quite cool, that I hadn't noticed at any point during spoiler season, so I'm not sure when it was revealed. It may have been at the end. It's Miletus Charlatan. Uh, okay. It's two and a blue for a two-three, rare, so decent stat line for a blue rare, I suppose. Yeah, two-three. Um, and it's got two to blue and tap to copy, well, to make the controller of an instant or sorcery copy it and then choose new targets for the copy. Okay. So, it may choose new targets. You don't even have to. So basically you're going to just use it on yourself to double up on all your spells. Ooh, could you use that when somebody has to sacrifice something? Uh, I do Rescue of the Underworld, sending one of my guys into the Underworld, which I don't care about. I then force you to copy that, so then you've got rid of both of your creatures. Yeah, you could, actually. Then I can smack into you before your four guys pop up, or who knows, maybe you've only got one target, so your three guys are going to pop up, and you're going to get slightly less value, and I've reset your counters or your auras or whatever. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. I suppose um, you could just target the same thing twice. Although, yeah. hmm. isn't Rescue from the Underworld... You sacrifice as part of the cost. 
Oh, yeah. So if you copied it, that wouldn't actually make you do it again. I don't know, there might be something that's really... It's, it's weird how it's phrased. A controller copies it. Yeah, it's probably better for, like, uh, Commander and stuff. Yeah, you can't steal stuff, but... Because that would be quite nice, just being able to have that political weapon on your hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would make someone copy a spell, or let someone copy a spell, rather. But yeah, I just think, even for just being able to copy your own spells for three mana whenever you want, it's quite nice. Did we talk about uh, a crow and horse last week? No. Oh, that was one I forgot about until you oh. mentioned it there. Okay, so uh, a crow and <laughs> horse, it's a four mana artifact creature horse. It's an 04 and it's rare. Um, it's a defender as well, so it's an 04 defender for a terrible value. Even more terrible value when it enters the battlefield and a opponent gains control of it. That's right, give them an 04 defender for four mana, you're off your head. At the beginning of your upkeep, however, and note when it says at your beginning of your upkeep, that means your opponent's upkeep because you've given it to them. Each opponent, so you, gains a plus one, uh, sorry, a 1 1 white soldier creature token. Yeah. So every upkeep, you get a 1 1 soldier. It's a Trojan horse. It is a Trojan horse, but it's terrible, right? No, it's awesome. It's a Trojan horse. So you get one ones, and they've got an O four, and um, yeah, but you get one ones every turn. It's not like they can do anything with the zero four. Block your one ones. Block your bigger guys. Uh, and then if you kill the horse, you stop getting the one ones. So where's the value? I don't know. It's just awesome. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a flavor fail. It's a card fail. It's it's rubbish in all axes. Why is it a rare? Why is it in the set? Why is it terrible? It's not a flavor fail. Uh, Come on. It's terrible artwork. It's a flavor fail because... Oh, now. Also, in, in like Commander and stuff, everyone else gets this token. Apart That's from the one person cooler. To. But this is... Uh, as much as I love Commander, in Limited, it's pants. Yeah, it's pretty pants. But it's still awesome. <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's pants. I love it. All the axes. However, awesome on all the axes, Colossus of Akros. Yeah. Eight mana, artifact creature golem, it's a rare. What do you get for your eight mana? An 08? No, you got a 1010. It yep. is a defender, but it's indestructible. And for 10 mana, Monstrosity 10, that's right, it becomes a 2020. <laughs> Better than that. As long as it's monstrous, it, can, it has trample and it can attack as though it didn't have defender. That's right, 2020 trample indestructible at your face! Yeah. You, you know that thing we, we said that 8 drops are difficult to cast? 2020! Eight, dro- 8 drops that do nothing and then require another 10 mana to do anything are probably not that fantastic. I mean, how good is Guardian of the Ages? It's okay. So I think, hmm. It's okay, but it's um, cheaper and it's easier to tr- to trigger. This is true, and it's not quite as powerful. I mean, it still ends games. Yeah, Guardian of Ages, I'd say, is generally better in draft than this is. And yeah. I'm not usually quick to pick Guardian of Ages. No, I mean, I think that's a reasonable assessment if you think about the two cards, because sure, this is bigger, but frankly, Guardian of Ages is big enough yeah. And so once you get beyond the sort of seven, it's just like, it doesn't really matter. So like, oh, look, it's a 20-20, okay, it kills you in one turn, but you're getting attacked by a seven-seven with Trample, you're also getting killed pretty damn quick, so. I guess we still don't know how fast the format's going to be. I mean, at least the, the, the Colossus of Akros will see that Shipbreaker crack in, sure will get targeted by it, but otherwise you'll be able to face off of it, even when monstrous. There's a few things uh, to help you get up to mana, though, I've noticed, that have been revealed since the last time we spoke about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's the Opaline Unicorn, 
which is three mana for a one two artifact that can tap to add mana of any color. Yeah. Seems pretty good. Um it's basically a manolith, but it's a one two for whatever that's worth. And then you've got Burnished Heart, which is another three mana, but it's a two two artifact. And you can pay through and sacrifice it to search for two basic land cards and put them onto the battlefield tapped. Yeah. So it ramps you by two land, and it's colourless. This seems quite strong. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I know this isn't ramp, but we got Traveller's Amulet, which is returned from Innistrad. Yeah, Traveller's Amulet's nice. I don't like the artwork, I'll be honest. No, I don't either, but... It's, the Traveller's Amulet was still good. I liked it a lot. It really helped those uh, two-coloured decks. Yeah, that's that's true. And I mean, if you've got stuff, if you're playing green, you might be able to actually get even more mana if you get the Karametra's Acolyte that taps for your devotion in, in green mana. Plus the rare that taps for one mana of any color. It, it, it's possible. So you might just get the nut ramp deck and play this, but I'm not sure if that's what's going to make you do it. No. I'm probably still playing it if I see it. Yeah. Tad Tad! Yeah! It's a Tad Tad <laughs> for eight. Tad Tad for eight. Yeah. It's like double what you get from Dead Bitch Goliath or Polycratos. You know? <laughs> five fives for four, Tad Tad for eight. Yeah, twice as good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. It's okay, I don't believe that. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Talking about being overly excited, I have now changed my uh, description on Twitter. I oh. fixed it. It wasn't quite complete, and I didn't quite state my, my thoughts and views appropriately enough for people who just wanted to get an idea of me at a glance, so I've, I've changed it. Okay, okay. I used to read, uh, host a Delvin Draft podcast, level one judge talking about Magic the Gathering, and now I've added an extra bit. Um, so yeah. What, what does the extra bit say? Joyra is the best commander, <laughs> end of conversation. <laughs> oh, where did I ask? I probably didn't need to. You didn't need to know that, but um, I just wanted to make sure that everybody understood that Joyra is the best commander. Yeah. So anyway, you mentioned the uh, the altered factor fiction, but what do you think of the other is it card? Uh, Spellheart Chimera, one blue red, uh, star three. Huh. Okay, so yeah, flying trample and power equal to number of instances of sorcery cards in your graveyard. Hmm. I I don't know. Really? I don't know. It's a flying goat. It's a chimera for a start. Okay? Yeah, so it's a fine go. <laughs> uh, actually, if you notice, uh, some of the chimeras in the set are not. Like, um, Horizon Chimera is more like a, a stork head? Yeah, well, they can be different. Yeah, um, like, I don't know, it seems okay. I'm not sure about the Spellhawk Chimera, to be honest. I think I'm going to have to see it in action. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm not sure, I'm, I, I don't know. I like the idea, though. It's kind of like pre-equipped with a... Uh... Uh, Rune Chatter's Pike. Mm. Except it doesn't get First Strike, sadly. That would be insane. First Strike Flying Trample. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, again, I like it more for Commander, but Commander's more zany and the same, and, you know, um, yeah. it's easier to find a spot for everything in Commanders. Oh, well. S- since, you're, since you're talking about Commander, what about this legendary creature, Triad of Fates? Two, a white and a black for a legendary creature, Human Wizard. Uh, it's a 3-3. Three, three. You pay one and tap it to put a fake counter on another per- another creature. Uh, you pay white and tap it to exile a creature with a fake counter on it, then return it to the battlefield under its own control. Or you play pay black to exile a creature that has a fake counter on it permanently, and its controller draws two cards. How do you feel about that? I think I like this a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, I know it does things with fake counters by itself, but I'm just thinking of Oblivion Stone. 
as well. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because <laughs> Oblivion Stone is, is basically a board wipe, except for everything with a fake counter on it. So this is easier to get fake counters on things quicker, yeah, as well it, as then do stuff with them. Yeah, because obviously it doesn't care about where the source of the fake counters come from, it just cares about fake counters. So, um, yeah. It's quite cool. What about in draft, though? In draft, um, it could be quite good. I mean, you can get rid of, well, you can get rid of auras, although, of course, some of them are going to be bestow creatures, which isn't quite as good. No. If, if, if something of yours has been locked down, although I don't think there's too many, like, lockdown effects, like, you know, like, Chain to the Rocks is a rare, and there's not, have I missed it? There's not many pacifism like effects, are there? No, exactly. and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Like at the end of turn, like you have this sort of at the end of a turn, it can tap and put a fake card or something. Then that you don't care about, and then it can randomly get two cards instead of it. Ah, it, it's a little bit slow. That's one of the problems. I think. It is a bit, yeah. Like you know, you you. It's like I spend a turn to put a fake counter on a thing, then I spend the next turn to do something with it, whether it's sort of slow flicker or I get to draw two cards. Um, it's a little bit slow, but I don't know. Maybe, nah, maybe, maybe, maybe. And the battlefield abilities. I mean, you could do something like reset one of your monstrous creatures if, like, the the monstrosity trigger is really cool. That's true. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's a bit too slow. Could be. It's definitely interesting, though. Yeah. Again, because obviously I haven't played with any of the cards and don't have an idea of even how decks are put together. I'm not quite sure how much shenanigans you can really have. It's like. It it just seems too slow. There's not like uh, there's nothing which really taps or untaps stuff. There's no Ralzara kicking or sitting around us there to help untap stuff. No. So I mean, if you could untap it and like maybe like actually put a fake counter on something and then do something with that fake counter on the same turn, that would definitely be a lot better. But, That's uh, true. Well, what about Prophet of Crufix <laughs> in the same deck? <laughs> Four colors. Uh. Well, yeah, that's not happening. And. Um, <laughs> That could be quite funny. I don't know, I mean, that's a 3-3 three, three for 4 mana, it doesn't seem too bad, though. It's not like it really good if you've got a board style. I mean, looking at the small the small creatures, a lot of there's a lot of 1-toughness creatures, a lot of 2-toughness creatures, a lot of 1-2 power creatures, so <laughs> it's actually not too bad in the early game, but mm, it comes out mid-game, and its effects, I don't know if they quite do enough to really make it all that awesome, but... I mean, I'd probably still play them if I was in those colours, but I don't think that would... I don't think that's a snap first pick. I don't think it's good try to force me to try with Grey Merchant of Asphodel, maybe. Sorry. Try try to face with Grey Merchant of Asphodel, perhaps. Hmm. It could be reasonable. Long ter- long game win condition. It could, maybe this is just something where you just uh, every at the end of just before it's the beginning of your turn, you just sort of try to put a fake counter on something, and you always just have that sort of protection there. Yeah. You know, like, if something's about to get killed, you quickly, you slow flicker it, or if, like, the board's about to get wiped, you just draw two cards and, you know, have something for after the board's been wiped. Well, that's the thing, it is really versatile. Like, you've got the options of, like, rebuying your own out of the battlefield abilities, uh, get rid of your opponent's enchantments, killing an opponent's creature which is just good enough that it's worth giving them two cards, or killing one of your creatures that's rubbish enough that you'd rather have two cards. Yeah. And that's quite a few options. Yeah, it's, it's just the speed of it is the question, really. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, like something that's that versatile, is, it's got to at least be a little bit playable. Especially when you're getting a decent-sized body for your mana cost, anyway. Um, are, actually, are there any sweepers in this? Like, you've got Elspeth, who can destroy creatures of power four or more, which is a pseudo-sweeper. But um, I don't remember seeing one. I've, I've just scanned through white, and aside from Elspeth, I don't really think there's anything. 
Uh, well, there's Historia the Cruel, which gets to destroy all non-Gorgons, which becomes monstrous. Okay, yeah, that's true. So that's a sweeper, but it's, it's a bit of a sketchy one, since you have to well, no, pay like, a sex drop and then pay eight more mana. I mean, very fitting would be Wrath of God, obviously, but there is no Wrath of God. Yeah, I wonder if they'll maybe put that in one of the other sets, because it is very fitting for this block. Yeah, I'm just... I don't think there are many supers, are there? I can't see one. Apart from uh, the red one, Anger of the Gods, that's kind of a sweeper. Yeah. But there's there's nothing that I can see that just straight up says destroy all creatures. No, that's interesting. Because normally there is one, like, uh, I, I quite like the bounce sweepers, you know, like um, Cyclonic Rift. Yeah. Or, um, was it Dreadwaters? No, not Dreadwaters, that was a terrible card. Um, Devastation Tide. Oh, yeah. Bounce everything. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Hello, curious to know. I mean, there's not even anything like Aetherize, is there? No, that I can see. Uh, I guess uh, it, I guess. Oh, wait. There's Sea God's Revenge, which are up to three target creatures your opponents control to their owner's hand. Well, it's five and a blue, and it's got Scry once on the end of it. That's something. <laughs> it's not quite what you were looking for, but I, it's I, I think it looks like they're definitely wanting your uh, heroic and your monstrous triggers to actually stick around, you know, your counters to actually be on creatures for a reasonable yeah, it time. Yeah, like it. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it, may be, it may be, this may just feel like more honest magic where I'm not, you know, the board isn't getting destroyed every four turns and things aren't just going in and out of hands and on top of bottom of libraries and other weird shenanigans all ringing <laughs> and stuff like that. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's quite interesting though. It's mm. unusual. There's usually like something in every set pretty much. Yeah. Or something in every draft format, even if it's not every set. Well, it looks like both of them, both of the supers we can spot aren't that easy to pull off, to be honest. No. Well, this is oh, a well. cost to pay with Elspeth. That's interesting to know. Uh, have we delved into this enough? Yeah, probably. Although if anyone has got anything that we haven't covered that they would like us to talk about, or any questions about any card in the set, feel free to ask, and we'll try and answer them next time. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Right. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we wrap this show up? Possibly, but it's been quite a long show, so maybe. Unless you can think of something. Well, I, I, I can mention what I was doing this weekend, but that could just wait. Yeah, that's probably better to do. Okay. Have a bit more time. Yeah, okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, we are on Tumblr at delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. We are also on Facebook as Delving to Draft. Our email address is delvingtodraft at gmail.com. I am on Twitter as Ravik underscore. Dan is Dark and the Mad. Your host for this week will be Craig and you, Dan. That's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is a cannery and it is a right of free music license to the Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. Mm-hmm.